come back up here.
right, well, let's go ahead and get started this evening. It's about 6 o'clock. We'll probably have some more joining us here uh, momentarily. We're going to go ahead and open up with prayer, and then we're going to jump right into uh, an old hymn of the church, When the Redeemed Are Gathering In. So I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house this evening, and uh, and we're going we're gonna to open up in prayer and jump right into uh, worship this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today for your love, mercy, and grace. We just are so honored to be back in your house tonight. So, Lord, I'm asking this evening that you would just speak to our hearts. And you would let us hear from your word today. Lord, I pray that every note that is played and every song that is sung, Lord, would bring glory and honor unto you. And Father, I pray for the vocalists to stay, their voices to stay strong. And, Lord, tonight that we would produce a product that you would inhabit the praises of your people. And your spirit would make residency with us this evening. And for that, we give you the praise and glory. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God said amen. Amen. Let's join in singing when the redeemed are again. We're gathering in.
let's continue to worship uh, the, the Lord this evening. We're going to sing a medley of songs. Some of these are going to be very familiar to you, and some of these are going to be some old praise choruses. So let's just worship together. Yeah. 
worship you, Lord. We magnify your name, Lord, today. We know that, Lord, we need you more than ever before.
verse 3. You're here turning lives. You are here turning lives over. We worship you all together. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. You are here mending every heart. Mending every heart. I worship you. Oh, I worship you. So we declare that you're
way for the next few minutes, will you just slip your hands all over this house? And would you just tell the Lord just for a moment how much he means to you? Just tell him how much he's been good to you and all the things he's done each and every day for us. We know God is great and greatly to be praised. Father, we just worship you in the sacredness and solemnness of this moment. Speak to our hearts. Help us to hear from you today. We love you, Lord. And we worship you. Jesus, holy and precious name, we pray these things and commit into your care. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 8. Luke, chapter number 8. Going to begin in verse... And we're going to start there in verse 41. Luke chapter 8 and verse 41. Once you have it, we're going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Let me just remind, just final time really, the Easter egg extravaganza is this weekend on Saturday. If you haven't already signed up to help or if you've got things uh, that you were still needed from uh, Miss Sandy or Miss um, Jeannie, please double check with them this week. Uh, don't forget sunrise service this week on Saturday, on Sunday morning. And don't forget if you haven't signed up for breakfast yet, we will provide breakfast. There's sausage, egg, and cheese, bacon, egg, and cheese, plain biscuits, or, or continental. So if you want a specific biscuit for sunrise service next week, it'll be um, – please sign up before you leave today and tell us what so we can order those because we want to get them ordered ahead of time. We're going to be right there at the tail race. We'll have service there at 7 a.m., We'll come back to the church. We'll have uh, coffee and juices and all that stuff here for you. Fellowship together before we uh, get ready to celebrate Easter Sunday. I'm excited. Everybody should already have their Easter outfits by now. I know all of y'all have already laid them out, picked them out, and they're on your bed waiting to be put on. I know, except me and Brianna. We ain't got nothing yet. So we're, we're behind the times a little bit. Uh, we, we went shopping. I can't find the color I want. I know that's hard for y'all to believe, but I just can't find the color I want. <laughs> uh, I don't want black this year. I want color, and uh, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, I even I had a yellow, uh, 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 pink tie on earlier today. I figured I was at least going to look like a, an egg today. I was going to have a nice little, you know, baby blue and and uh, pink ensemble. But next week's Easter, I got to top that somehow. So I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. But uh, we're excited for everybody's Easter outfits. I know kids get excited and get all dressed up and enjoy uh, the festivities. And mommies and daddies do all kinds of fun things. And, I'm going to be nice to you since you're coming to sunrise service. Since all uh, 59 people that were at church this morning signed up for sunrise service. I know you didn't because I counted the numbers. But, uh, but because we're having sunrise service and because um, it's Easter, we are going to have a big celebration. But we're going to send you home to your families, let you spend time. Some people are going to be traveling. So any, uh, anyway, so uh, there won't be a p.m. service uh, next week but, uh, for that. But uh, we'll be back on a normal schedule shortly thereafter. So make sure you don't miss that. We'll be uh, preaching a message next week on there's something going on in a graveyard. And you're going to not want to miss that. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I shared with you this morning, and I'll share it again tonight. Every time Jesus walked into a cemetery, he came out with somebody. And so we're going to talk about that no matter what you're going through, if Jesus walks in, he's not going to walk out alone. He's going to bring you out with him when he goes in the situation. So uh, there's something going on in that graveyard. So don't forget to... um, Pay attention to that. Join us for that. If not, you can always uh, listen to our services on our website, santicirclecog.org, or on Apple and Google Podcasts, all those different things today. 
All right, Luke chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 41, and we're going to read down just a little bit. Behold, there was a certain man named Jairus, he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he'd come to his house, for he had one daughter. She was about 12 years old. She lay dying with the disease, and he went, as he went, the people thronged him, talking about Jesus. But there was also a woman who had been having an issue of blood for 12 years, and she had spent everything she had on all of her physicians, and none of them could heal her. And she came behind him, and she touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood dried up. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when everybody said they denied it, Peter said, Lord, come on. There's a multitude thronging you. There's a lot of people pressing. How can you ask a question, Who touched me? And Jesus said this was different. Because this person, when they touched me, I perceived that virtue or power. Some translations will say power. Power left my body. I knew this was different. This wasn't just your average. Somebody tapped my shoulder or somebody bushed up against my leg. Somebody got a prayer through, as the old song says. Something worked this time. That's what happened. And he said, and when the woman saw that she could not hide, she came in fear and trembling and fell before him and declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was immediately made whole. Jesus said to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. But while he still spoke, there came one from the synagogue ruler's house, said, Don't bother the teacher. Your daughter has already did. When Jesus heard it, he answered, He said, Fear not, only believe that she will also be made whole. When he came into the house, he suffered that no man go in except Peter, James, and John, the mom and the dad of this little girl. They all wept. They bewailed her. He said, but don't cry. She's not dead. She's sleeping. Same thing he said about Lazarus. They laughed at him, knowing for sure that she was dead. When he put them all out, he took her by the hand, and he called, saying, maid or daughter, some translations will say, arise. Her spirit instantly came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded her for them to feed her. That's a good way to make sure you're not seeing ghosts. Ghosts can't eat. If the ghost eats, that's, that's, that's not normal. So he said, hey, feed her. If y'all don't believe it, see if she can eat food. It's a good way. Remember when Jesus, if you remember, before we read this last verse, remember when he appeared to Thomas, and he was in the, in the upper room there, and they were all scared. And he said, you got any fish? Got anything to eat? Because ghosts don't eat. He wanted Thomas to know, I'm real. This is not a ghost. This is not a figment of imagination. You're not hallucinating. You're not on, you know, you haven't smelled grass a little bit longer than you should this week. You, you, this, this is a real deal. So he asked them to feed her. Her parents were astonished, no doubt. I mean, wouldn't you be astonished if you went to a funeral? In the middle of the funeral, the dead person got up? I think I'd be pretty shocked, too. That'd be a little weird of a funeral. That'd be kind of awkward. That funeral home would be going out of business quickly. Maybe he'd probably have a lot of, lot of lawsuits against him. The parents were astonished, and he said that they should tell no man what was done. I want to continue and finish a message I started a couple weeks ago. Who's asking who? What do you do? When you go to Jesus with your problem, but Jesus' response is not necessarily an answer, it's a question. Because we always want to go to Jesus, Lord, I need, I want, whatever. Jesus, I have a need. We don't want him to ask us a question, we just want him to answer the request. But what do you do when Jesus says, but wait, I got a question for you instead? How do you answer that? Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, help me preach your unadulterated word to the people of God. Help us to not only be hearers, but doers thereof. Open our eyes, hearts, and ears to be receptive to this word. Keep us safe, and in the palm of your hand, be with those that are here tonight, as well as those who may not be here. Lord, we just love you, and we commit these things into your care. In Jesus, our Lord, we pray. The people of God said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
I started a couple weeks ago on this series on who's asking who, the questions. We had talked about a lot of people in this story. We started out with a guy in John that was asked at a pool called Bethesda in John 5, a man that's been lame. We found out that Jesus asked him, do you want to get better? Do you want to be made well? Do you want me to do it? Seems like a dumb question to ask, but the man's faith interlocked with Jesus on that response and said yes, and we know he made, was made well. Then we traveled into Mark 6, where there is 5,000 men plus women and children sitting on a Judean hillside, and they're getting hungry. It's getting late in the day. It's, in the, it's the evening time. Jesus moved with compassion, not wanting them to leave hungry, said unto them, Let's feed them. Well, Philip comes up to him and says, Lord, if we pulled all our money together and took all of our savings account and brought it here and went up to the local local shop and bought every fish sandwich they had and every piece of bread they had, there wouldn't be enough food. We couldn't afford to feed this many people. Jesus said, well, what do you have? Well, we know the story. He had five loaves, two fish, and as they always say, the the old uh, story is and the rest is history. We know what happened fed 5,000 men and women so from somewhere probably between 15 to 20,000 people ate that day that's a lot of fish sandwiches you could you imagine rolling up to McDonald's tonight and just ordering 50 in Berkeley County you'd freak them out they'd want to know what's going on that somebody wants 50 fish fillet sandwiches I could imagine when you drove around the curb after you after the lady on the little uh, drive-through says, you know, thank you for choosing McDonald's, and you say, yeah, I'd like to order a 50 fish fillets. She wanted three things to happen. Either she's going to say, I'm sorry, could you repeat that order? Because she's not going to know what she thought she just heard. Or she just takes it at face value, and it's going to be probably about a 10-minute pause because she's got to realize she's probably not going to just type in 50 fish fillet sandwiches. She's going to hit that plus button 50 times to get it one, two, three, four, five, because she's going to be floored that there's 50 sandwiches. And could you imagine her eyes or his eyes when you get to the drive through window? They're going to look at you. You're the only person in the car and want 50 of those things? They're going to have some questions. They may not ask them, but they're going to have some questions. Jesus asked, what do you have? Just give me what you got. And I shared with you that, that particular Sunday night when we talked that sometimes God doesn't need us to create more stuff. He just needs us to give him what we've already got. He doesn't need us to go out and say, well, Lord, let me go collect a few more items. And, Lord, let me go buy a few more things. And, Lord, let me get my house in order. The Bible said, no, no, no. You come to me just as you are and just let me handle it. Don't fix it. Just let me handle it. Just bring me what you have. And so he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Then we traveled into the first part of Luke chapter 8's gospel. We find in this particular story that in chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus is presented with a storm on a sea. He's asleep in a boat. He's chilling out. He's not worried. He said, we're going to go to the other side. He meant what he said. We're going to go on the other side. That's all we got to do. Storm shows up. Disciples freak out. They wake him up in a panic. He stands over the bow of the boat. Peace be still. You know the story. For time's sake, we're not going to recap it, but he stopped the winds, the waves, all settled. Then he turns to them and says, where was your faith? I told you we were going on the other side. Where was your faith? What do you do when you ask Jesus, you come to Jesus all panting, all frantic, all frazzled, and you come with your need, and Jesus goes, well, why don't you have faith? 
What would you do in that moment? I'm dying. My world's capsizing. My life's boat feels like it's about to capsize. I'm taking on more water. I'm taking on more stress. I'm taking on more job demands. My children are driving me nuts. My grandchildren are, are living a wayward life. My, my spouse and I are not getting along. And my, my boat's just about to sink. And Jesus looks at me and has the audacity to say, where's your faith? Jesus, no wonder I'm frazzled in this moment. But he said, where's your faith? Then we travel a little bit further in Luke chapter 8. When they get to the other side, they are presented by a demoniac in the Genesaret region. As soon as they docked the boat, they haven't even really good and got the boat tethered so it don't drift away yet. And this possessed man, full of demons, that tormented him day and night, and literally, in lack of better terms, just drove havoc in his mind. The Bible, the reason we know that is the Bible said, Sister Alma, that he would sit there and he'd take rocks and he'd carve stuff on his own self till he bled. I mean, he literally would mutilate his own self. That's pretty messed up. We put people in psychiatric wards for stuff like that. That's just crazy. And Jesus walks in there. The demoniac says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? Why are you here? Go on, leave us alone. Don't torment us. Leave us alone. Jesus says, what's your name? The guy responds back, I am Legion. You know the story. They get cast into the swine. The people come out because they heard that a bunch of pigs committed suicide. And there's this man now, normal, that wasn't normal just the day before. Everybody had to come see this crazy thing that happened. Well, well you say, well, Pastor, what's that got to do with me? Well, the one thing I did learn about this story is no matter how crazy life may get, Jesus is not phased by it one iota. He does not get phased by your craziness. Your world can be absolutely pandemonium. It can be crazier than a nut house. It can be the craziest thing in the world, and it does not frazzle him. He just takes it in stride. Even the demons said, Jesus, please, it, we don't, don't torture us. Just let us. Just leave us alone. They even knew not to mess with him. Jesus leaves this region of the Genesaret region. He's on a journey back towards Jerusalem and across near the Jordan and the, Red, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick up tonight. Jesus asks a question in the middle of a crowd. I mean, thousands of people are coming, flocking to him day and night, wanting to hear the words of wisdom. From the great teacher and orator, Jesus himself. They were mesmerized. The Bible talked about they were, it was almost like they hung on his every word. They were mesmerized by his way with unpacking and revealing the truths of God's word. Whether he used farming or agriculture or he used parables or he talked about sowing of seeds or he talked about, about the wind and the waves and seas and the cosmetic or the cosmos and all the things that happen in the, in the, in the uh, uh, astrological signs of the sky. They just were amazed at how this man, even from the time he was 12, they were amazed at how smart this kid was. I mean, he's 12 years old and the people were like, this kid's smart. He was amazing people then. He is presented with a problem First, by a guy that has a lot of clout in town. A guy by the name of J. Iris shows up. And J. Iris was a well-known man. He was a leader of a synagogue. 
He was a he was a upstanding man in the community. He went to church three times a week. He paid his tithes. He went to revival. He volunteered for everything they had at church. I mean, he was a good man. But he had one problem. The apple of his eye, the thing that made his heart skip beats, the thing that would make the, 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 the hairs on the back of his head just seem to like dance in the middle, was a little girl that was his pride and joy. He would wake up every morning to the sounds of a girl crying, Daddy, Daddy, and it would make his heart pitter-patter as he laid there. His little girl, he remembered the day she was born. He remembered the first time she cried. He remembered the first day he ever held her in his arms. This was his little girl. There's something to be said. Daddy seemed to have this connection with girls, and Mama seemed to, it seems like, have connection with boys. It doesn't mean Mamas don't love their daughters and daddies don't love their sons. They're, they're, but it just seems like Mamas and boys go together and daddies and daughters go together. I mean... Daddy tells little boy, get out there and mow the grass. Little girl, you ain't got to do nothing. Just sit here, honey. You'll be all right. It's like, why, why she wears two arms and two legs? Why can't she pick up pine cones? And it doesn't, she's a girl. We ain't messing with her. Daddies protect their little girl. I know it's true. Y'all ain't got y'all y'all can be nominal church people tonight and not amen me, but you know that girls change the dynamic of the room. The reality of it is. For 12 years, every day he's woken up, he's heard her voice in that house. It has brought joy to his heart. But she's gotten sick to the point that the doctors say she's going to die. There ain't nothing we can do. She's going to die. The man that had been going to church, praying, had fasted, had sought the Lord, had given his life for Jesus, if you will, for the goals of the Christ. I mean, he'd given his life to religious practices. Has to now put his faith. Does he believe that Jehovah is a healer? Does he believe he's the God that heals? Does he believe it because his daughter is going to die? So he did something out of the box. Because most of the religious leaders did not believe in Jesus. They despised him. They thought he was a heretic. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he promoted heresy. And, and he, was, he was a false prophet. But he had, he had exhausted all his options. Doctors couldn't fix it. Medicine couldn't fix it, but my baby girl is still going to die. And he only knew one other thing. I have, I have heard stories that this man has raised dead people. I heard stories that just yesterday or the day before yesterday, he had a man that was crazy demon-possessed that he has healed. I heard a story where the seas and the winds had stopped at the very mention of his breath into the atmosphere. I've heard blinded eyes be opened. I've heard lame men walk from the pool of Bethesda and get up after being lame for 38 years. If he could do it for them... Wonder if he could do it for me. Wonder if. So he takes a little bit of faith and he walks towards Jesus with a problem. That's a good thing. He takes it to Jesus. What he did not bank on in this situation was a hindrance from his answer. See, too many people are... One or two prayers short from breakthrough because as soon as the devil puts one little roadblock in their way, they quit and they give up and think it wasn't meant for them. That's nothing more than the devil trying to stop you from getting what God has intended for you to have. The reality of it is he stands there. He tells Jesus his problem. Jesus says, let's go to your house. Throngs of people are around him. 
12-year-old little girl. But at the same time, there was a lady across town. She, too, had talked to a lot of doctors. She had been a specialist. They told her they couldn't fix her problem either. For 12 years, she's hemorrhaged. She cannot stop. She's been through blood transfusions. She's been to hemoglobin specialists to try to get her levels up. And nothing's worked. She, too, has heard deaf people can hear. Blind people can see. She's too heard there was a dead man. Jesus walked into a cemetery and called a dead man out of the ground. If he could call dead people back, surely he knows how to touch me. And in her mind, she said, I don't even have to actually get a chance to talk to him. If I can just get to the bottom of his coat, the tallit, the bottom, where the fringe of the robe, uh, the, 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 the seam of the robe interlocked together. If I can just touch the edge of the robe. Because you have to understand that area of the robe was very important because it goes all the way back to the Levitical law that that, that edge of that robe had to remain pure and had to remain, had to remain a certain way and interwoven with a certain pattern. It was a sacred garment. She said, if I can just get to the edge of that garment. She presses her way through. She gets to his feet. She grabs the bottom of his coat. Immediately it dries up. But Jesus stops in this moment because something has changed in the atmosphere. Thousands of people have been around him, but no one yet has moved him. Don't miss what I just said. Thousands of people were around him, but no one yet, no one at that point yet had got his attention and moved. Yes, J. Iris, we're going on a journey to your house. But how many other people in the crowd may have needed a miracle that day? They needed their son or daughter made whole. They needed their spouse saved. They needed a How many people followed him and they needed something, but they didn't get one that day? Because something changed in the atmosphere. We call it faith. But it was the fact that it wasn't just blind faith in terms of don't know what we're doing. It was an intentionality to get a hold of God. It didn't matter what it took. It didn't matter if it exhausted every last bit of strength she had. She was determined she was not going to be denied and not quit until she and Jesus had a moment. Can I tell you the best thing, the church of the living God, it doesn't matter what's happening in the United States, what's happening in Russia, what's happening in Ukraine, all that stuff's just setting up for the end of times. All they're doing, they're just getting everything lined up in places for Jesus to come back. I'm telling you the best medicine for anybody to take, the best advice any counselor can ever give you, and the best thing you can ever do is say, I don't care how I have to do it. I don't care what I have to go through I don't care how difficult it is but I am more determined now than I've ever been before I'm going to get to his feet Jesus and I are going to have a moment Jesus and I are going to talk about it I'm going to have a little talk with Jesus so I can make everything all right I'm not going to be denied I'm not going to be determined I'm more determined now than I've ever been before If I don't care what happens around me but heaven is my end game and I'm more determined now to make it whether I stay on this earth or I go by the grave one way or the other me and Jesus are going to have a talk one day face to face she touches his garment. He stops and says, Who touched me? Peter's, you know, you got to love Peter. Peter's the armor bearer. He's the director of security for Jesus' detail. Peter's the guy who said, Let him come after you. Jesus, I'll kill him right here. We'll keep on going. We'll go to the next crusade. We don't care. Peter's just, he's the best security guard you can have. Shoot first. 
Ask questions later. I mean, that's just Peter. Peter said, Lord, there's a bunch of people. I'm not trying to insult you, but I mean, Lord, you've been touched by hundreds of people today. He said, no, 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 Peter, you don't understand. There's, been, there's a lot of people that are here. You're right. But this is a different kind of touch. I felt virtue or power or something that leave me. Can I tell you, and you listen to this preacher very carefully. I know most of our kids are on spring break and people are traveling and, and this week's Easter. So, you know, you, you get some time off to think about uh, uh, different things or spend time with your family. But don't miss what I'm about to say. Just because a church or a religious gathering Hear my heart. Just because they draw a crowd doesn't mean he's in the building. Don't miss what I just said. You can put any name you want to put on a marquee up front. You can put Church of God on it for all I care. You can put the flame in the cross. As far as I'm concerned, you can put the general overseer's name underneath the sign if you want to. Just because you can draw a crowd doesn't guarantee he's in the building. Because there can be hundreds of people in the vicinity of his presence. But ain't none of them experience what it's like to be in his presence. They might be in the presence of his physical location, but they haven't experienced the throne room presence of the Shekinah glory of God moving in their lives. Just because there's a crowd does not mean he's in the room. Peter said, he said no, and she confesses. Jairus gets word, your daughter didn't make it. Leave him alone. Could you imagine the heartbreak and that empty feeling, the pit in the bottom of your stomach feeling when you were so close to the miracle and you feel like you lost it? Think about it. In Jairus' case, I was so close. I had him come into the house. He already agreed to come. We were on our way. And if she wouldn't have stopped him, we would have made it. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you're more holier and righteous than I am. If it had been my family, I probably would have been mad at that woman that day. Because in my moment, I would have thought, you cost me my miracle. You got in my way. That was my miracle. I asked first. I was there first. I came and sought Jesus first. I went to the altar way more times than you did. I've prayed about it, Jesus, way more times than she has. I came to church early. I went to prayer meeting. I went to Monday night prayer service. I went to Tuesday night Bible study. I did it all, Jesus. She came one time. She stole my miracle from me. He's sick. He's lost it all. No doubt depressed, downcast. His face probably changed. Maybe he wept. I don't know. But he turns in disappointment to leave. And Jesus said, don't be upset. Just believe me. Trust me. So they go on this journey to the house. They get there, they have paid people to come cry. And that day they pay people to come cry with you. Don't that sound like a great job? Hey, so-and-so don't have enough people to come cry at their funeral. We're going to give you 20 bucks to go to their funeral. You don't know them, just act like you know them. Cry and we'll give you 20 bucks when the service is over. What a great job. Crying on cue for payment. Look, I could do that job. That sounds like, I mean, I cry when my mind goldfish dies. I ain't got to know them. You tell me enough good stories back there, I'll be like, whoo, they were a special person. You know them? No, I didn't have a clue who they were, but I felt bad for them. You got paid for that. They get there. They're all standing outside. And Jesus says, you know what? I got 12 guys that go with me. Y'all got a crowd of people. 
But I don't need anybody to distract me from what's about to happen. And I certainly don't need any naysayers in the room. Because Jesus can do more with few, just like those loaves and fish, than anybody else can do with a lot in their repertoire. And Jesus said, I want Peter, James, John. Historians tell us Peter would have most likely been the oldest disciple. He was married. He had a mother-in-law. He was taking care of her. Based on historical accounts, most people believe Peter was the oldest. He was the old man. He was kind of the seasoned vet. That's why he always spoke up. He always thought his other guys kind of, they were young whippersnappers. They never lived life. So Peter wanted to educate him a little bit. He was a little older, rough around the edges. A lot of people believe John was the baby of the group based on timelines. So there's a, the oldest and the youngest are in the room. And James saw somewhere in the middle. Now you don't miss the room. Because biblical numerology sets up this room. Because inside this room, there is a mom and a dad. Well, they kind of have to be there. It's their, girl, it's their girl. And there's three disciples. The oldest, the youngest, and some guy who falls in between them. So mom and dad and three disciples are five people. I told you before, the number five is a number of grace. There is no situation you'll ever find yourself in that the grace of God can't get you out of it. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is. In fact, it can look like it's lifeless, dead, and no way of returning. There is no situation grace can't get you out of. But there are two other people in the room. There's the person who has the need, the daughter. And then there's the one who can fix the need, the great physician, the doctor. So now you add those two into the room. Now you got seven people in the room. And the number seven in biblical numerology is the number of divine completion. So once grace walks into the room, and once Jesus walks into my situation, and once I allow Jesus to walk into my situation, it goes from just grace entered into the room, where grace and mercy is entered into the room. And when grace walks in, and when mercy walks in, they start having a conversation. When it's all said and done, I look around, and Jesus is already taking care of the problem before I even had time to think about it. And he calls her to get up. But don't miss who's in the room. Mama and daddy. But we have the oldest disciple. The old man. We got the baby. He can't even grow a beard. Probably a teenager in the room. Jesus painted a picture in that moment of exactly what he just did in a miracle. Because don't miss it. Jairus tells us his daughter was 12. But the woman came to Jesus and said she'd been suffering from hemorrhaging for 12 years. So an older generation has been dealing with a bunch of issues that the next generation didn't even know what they were experiencing yet. The first generation had been dealing with bloody issues. They had been through battle scars. They had been through church hurts. They had been through bad church situations. They had been through death. They had been through tragedy. They had been through hell and high water. They had been bleeding over their own issues and things like that. They had a lot of problems, but the next generation had never walked that way. So if Jesus let the older generation die, who's going to text tell the next generation how to make it out? Because Titus tells us that God wants older men and women to teach the next group how to avoid the same traps but live the life they're called to live. So if Jesus doesn't help the people that have already walked that road and had battle scars, the next generation was going to go into the fight blindly and not have a clue what they were coming to face. But in the room, he made sure that he had the oldest man on the team and the youngest man on the team and somebody in between. Why? Because Jesus wanted everybody to know in that room that the old people are still needed, 
Because they're the stability. They're the people going to keep us grounded. They're the people that are going to season it with prayer. They're going to people that are going to keep the foundation. They're the concrete slab of the of the building. They're going to keep it going. But he also needs the next generation because they got the energy. They got the ones they're willing to go run the race. They're willing to go because the older generation can only go so far because they get tired. That's understandable. But they got wisdom. Gray hair, the Bible says, a sign of crown of glory of wisdom. They've got the experience and they can tell us how to avoid it. But the next generation, they've got that energetic, let me go, let me go, do and I can do it. So if the older generation pours the wisdom into them and lets the energy of the next generation run the race, we all, the rest of us, can somehow fall in between it and we can see the kingdom of God advance. We can see the glory of God revealed. And when it's all said and done, He gets all the credit and we get to share in the benefits of His miracles. But then something else happens. It's not the end of this story. There's another challenge that is brought. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus goes to a garden called Gethsemane to pray his prayer of agony. He's already done his Lord's Supper. He's already spent time with his disciples, washed their feet. The Bible says Jesus' spirit was troubled. He wanted support in that moment. He needs them to pray. He was feeling the weight of what the Lord was already, the Father was already putting on his shoulders, the entire world's sin on one man's shoulder. There wasn't a cross beam in the world that could carry the weight of all the sins of the entire world like that night Jesus had to put it on his shoulder. He goes to pray, Father, if you will, if it be our will, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But when he comes back, he asks the question, Why are you sleeping? See, they started out praying for ten minutes, five minutes, whatever, and then they were out. They went to sleep. Jesus does back and prays, wakes them up a second time. The third time he comes back, he just lets them, the Bible says he just lets them sleep. He don't even bother with them anymore. He just, he just forgets about it. He goes back and says, just forget it. See, the Bible tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit if we keep running from Him long enough. But what I want you to see in this story is while the deity of Christ knew He had to do the job, the humanity of Christ needed support. He needed to know somebody had His back. He, he knew they couldn't save Him from going to Calvary's cross. He knew they couldn't change the outcome, but He just wanted somebody from the flesh side, the humanity side, just to be there with Him in that moment of agony so that He wasn't alone. Now, it's easy for all of us to say, well, Pastor, we know the Bible said he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and he'll never leave us alone. That's true, but it don't feel that way when you're alone. Because more often times than not, when the tragedy strikes and heartache hits, there's many times you'll sit at a bar stool, on a couch, on a chair, in a park, on a park bench, in a church service, and tears streaming down your face, and... You and God are not on the same page because you don't understand it and you feel like he abandoned you in that moment. And nothing is worse when you call for your friends, your family, your co-workers, whatever, to support you and you feel like they let you down too. And they left you alone. They were too busy. They had things to do. They had their own lives to live while you're reeling and rocking. You live your own life. See, I do something a little bit different than most people do. Probably is not the best philosophy or solution. But you know what? It's worked for me so far, so we're going to keep working it until I 
you know, be convicted by by the Lord. I go to if somebody passes away, I go to their 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 um, wake, if you will, which is kind of a unique thing to say wake. They're not awake. It's kind of an oxymoron in and of itself. But I go to their viewing. I always struggle when people walk by and say, "Don't they look good?" That just means this just seems weird to me. Like, did they, did they look that bad alive? That's the best they look now is now. Like, well, they look so good. No, well, how bad did they look when they were living? You know, I never asked somebody that, but I always think that. I go to their funeral. The day after, I might send one text or a phone call. Now, most people are gonna inundate them. Get the house, 15 casseroles, 35 desserts. 12 gallons of sweet tea, 14 dozen rolls. I wait about three weeks before I call back. And you say, well, Pastor, you're a jerk. No, because you know what happens? After three weeks, nobody else calls. They forget about them. You know what they do? They get busy. I got my own life. I got my own kids. I got my own grandkids. You know what happens? The person that just lost a loved one, their life still ain't the same. While everybody else moved on, they're still stuck. See, the reality of it is Jesus understood something. I needed help, and when I needed help from my physical side, you weren't there. My, my closest comrades, we have ate together for three and a half years, and when I needed you most, you didn't show up to the, to the, to the board, drawing board. You didn't help. You didn't go into battle with me. You left me alone. You know, I've said to people all the time, I used to, when people would ask me, that I, you know, hey, Pastor, when you go to your church, you know, you have, you pray for, you know, remember this request, or you pray for me. Used to, I try to remember it and take it to the church. And then Miss Brenda, God convicted me one day because I kept forgetting about them because I get busy. So now what I do when somebody says, "Hey, Pastor, will you have your church pray?" I said, "Yeah, but do you mind if I pray with you right now? Because there's a chance I may forget. So let's go ahead and make sure a prayer gets offered up now before I forget about it later. Because I, I know all everybody in here is probably not as forgetful as I am, but sometimes I just forget things. It just slips in my mind. I just forget." I don't want somebody's prayer, their desire and need for prayer. I don't want to be like the disciples. I don't want to be when somebody needed me, I let them down in their garden of life. I didn't, I didn't intercede for their, on their behalf. You ask them why they're sleeping. Then I started thinking about that story. It wasn't so much about the sleeping either. Before we judge the disciples, I mean half of us, we know we have started out a prayer and fell asleep halfway through the prayer and don't remember where we left off. We just wake up the next morning like, Lord, I hope you know what the rest of that prayer was because I don't remember where I left off. We've all done it before. But then I started thinking about, but that question actually is a different question in and of itself if we really look at it. Because you know what Jesus is probably doing right now in heaven? Asking that same question to us down here on earth as the church. You see, my, you see the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You see everything's turmoil. You see everything's lining up for my return. Why are you sleeping? This is the moment when you should be bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, trimming the lamps, making sure there's oil in the lamps, making sure the wick's ready to be burned, be standing there like the five wise virgins. You should be ready to go, not just piddle-paddling around, dawdling around, thinking, well, I got plenty of time. I'll see one day. Maybe one day I'll trim the lamp. No, no, this is the time. Why are you sleeping? Jesus is right now asking the church, why are you sleeping? Wake up. Redemption draws nigh. Get up. Why are you sleeping? You know what I've come to the conclusion? Nobody has an answer for it. I have not met one. I'm not talking about just one specific church. I mean universally across the board. I haven't got a, con- a conclusive answer from anybody why we're sleeping other than we're complacent and lazy. There is no answer. I have no answer. We're just lazy. 
We're complacent. We like the way our lives are going. And we like to say certain things are happening. We like the way that it's just everything seems to be going. And we're in this groove. And everything seems to be going right now. We're on mountaintop experiences. And it's been a while since we've been in a valley. We don't want to be disfurnished. And we don't want to be put out of the way. And we don't want to go through this, that, and the other. We're happy living this way. And while the world is dying and going to hell, and we have the answers, we're just sitting by sleeping. Because they're too tired and fatigued. The Bible said, do not grow weary in well-doing. You've got to keep running. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Keep going. The Bible said, when I am weak, that is when he becomes strong. The Bible says, when I turn it over to him and I give it over to him, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You sometimes have to. When you can't do it anymore, I can do all three things through Christ. Who gives me strength? I may not be able to do it, but there's one who can help me keep doing it until he comes. Miss Carol, as you make your way, and then the last question is also found in Luke 22. Jesus is standing in this garden. And he, off in the distance he sees clubs, flaming torches, and the sounds of soldiers' feet trampling through the garden. They stop right in front of him with just the moonlight and the illumination of a flicker glorified candle beaming across the precious face of God Jesus looks at them and said you had your opportunity to take me at the temple will you come out do you think I'm a robber do you think I'm a I mean, what, what, what kind of pr- prisoner and criminal you think I am you had all this time to come get me I preached in temples I was, I was everywhere with you I walked with you I talked with you I, I ate dinner with you you had all this time to get me you come out here now but that's not the question I want to focus on. Just a few hours before, Miss Anne, there was a man that sat at a table with Jesus and had dinner with him. The psalmist says this, Lord, you'll prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Sometimes you got to eat dinner with the enemy. David sat down at a table with Saul, knowing Saul wants him to be killed. But he had to sit there because he was called to be an armor bearer and a musician to the foul-spirited king. But he knew he hated his guts, but he did it because that's what God called him to do. He still had to sit at the table. But he got so bad, he even told Jonathan, the king's son, if he doesn't want me to come back, then you got to warn me because I, can't, I don't want to doubt. But he knew that he should be there if that's what the king desired. Sometimes you have to eat. <laughs> the old adage, sometimes you have to eat crows. Sometimes you just got to suck it up and eat with them. Except to do it. You know, it could have been, there could have been nothing more humiliating than knowing, Sister Beulah, that the man sitting across the table from me, I already know he sold me out. I already know he's lied about me. I already know he spread gossip across town. I already know he sabotaged my job. I already know he's tried to spread hateful crimes and slander me all over town. I already know he has ruined my name and my reputation. And he doesn't have any regard for me whatsoever. And he's trying to falsify and trump up charges to get me killed. And I still have to smile and look him in the face. That's humiliating. Even when Jesus said, the one I dip this bread and give it to, they'll betray me. The disciples all want to find out so they can kill him. And nobody notices. Jesus slips it right into Judas' hand. Nobody ever noticed. So slick and so cunning. That's not even the worst part. That enemy sat at a table 
when Jesus derobed his outer coat. That same man sat at that table looking at the eyes that had to be the most piercing eyes you've ever laid your eyes on when Jesus starts at one end of the table and he sits in front of John. He pours water in a basin and he washes the feet of John. And when Peter says, no, 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 not me, Lord, not me. But he still washes his feet. Simon the Zealot, Bartholomew, he keeps going, Matthew, and he keeps going down the line. But there came one person at the table who's still sitting there. And I have to get down on my hands and knees knowing that they're wronging me, knowing they hate my guts, knowing they're out for me. And I'm going to wash their feet too. You can't get much more humiliating than on your knees as a servant washing the feet of somebody you know is out for you. But a question gets asked just that quickly. Judas had watched the eye-piercing look of God penetrate his very soul. And this question is asked. Do you betray me with a kiss? We just had dinner, Judas. I washed your feet, son. You've been with me through every miracle. You've seen it all. And this is how you thank me. You come up here because you know in the Old Testament, you know how you greeted a rabbi? You kissed them on the side of their cheek, on one side and the other. I learned this about 20 years ago, Ridgefield Church of God, when a man from Jerusalem named Aaron Hyman came to our church, full-blooded, and was a part of the Hyman Seafood family. And I watched him every Sunday walk out of the back door, my father standing at the back door, used to freak my dad out, but he did do it. He let him do it because he knew it was his culture that every time that man would walk out from visiting that Sunday, he'd kiss him on one side and on the other because he was honoring the office of the rabbi, the teacher, the preacher. Now, for some of you, like, that was weird, grown men, but that, that was a sign of respect in that culture. Judas was, what Jesus was saying is, I don't, e- I, res- I don't even have enough respect for you to kiss you in terms of making sure it's to honor you. I'm actually going to betray you and disrespect you in front of everybody. It was a sign of disrespect at that point. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus was saying. You're going to disrespect me like this? Betray me like this? All the times you had, and this is the best way you could come up with it. In the dark, in seclusion. You know why? Because the devil never likes people to know what he's doing in the dark. Judas didn't. Judas didn't want to do it in the daylight because the devil never likes people to know what's coming to light. The devil doesn't want the things he's doing to be revealed in the light. That's why God says he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The devil doesn't want people to know the secrets in the dark being revealed by the illumination of Christ. But here's where the rubber meets the road and then we're going to pray. I believe that question still is being asked by God today. You come to church. You don't tithe. You tip. You give a $2 bill. $2 in an offering plate. You made 2000 this week. Because you sold something. Somebody bought some piece of whatever off the Facebook marketplace. And you, got a bra, you got a raise. So you gave me two bucks at church to feel good about it. Like a penance. You just gave me two bucks. You came in. Sunday morning or Sunday night, whatever service you choose. 
I'm not talking about here. I mean universal churches. You make your grand appearance so everybody can see the righteous show up. You might stand up for a few of the songs or sing them. You might tolerate the message. But when it comes time to respond, you don't have time for me. You don't have time to pray to me. You don't have time to talk to me. You don't have time. See, there's a lot of men and women. Please don't take this out of context or run with it and say, oh, preachers are being hard. There's a lot of men and women that go to church, but they ain't no more saved than the person that didn't come to church that night too. There's a bunch of people going to church that is just as fast going to hell as a person at the bar, the person's doing drugs, the person's shacking up with somebody else's husband or wife. Before we judge them, we better look at the specks in our own eye, not specks in our brother's eye when we have two by four, a whole lumber yard in our own eye because there's a lot of people that think they're right with God and they're going to be sadly mistaken because they came to church one Sunday but the church left and they got left because they were out just doing their own thing and not had their lamp ready to go. A lot of people go to church. Not all of them going to heaven. I know that's a culture shock, but I'm just telling you. Everything that comes into church don't go to heaven. I wonder if Jesus looks across the bowels of heaven and still feels like there are times that men and women, when it's convenient, Miss Brenda, will claim him. But when it's inconvenient, they deny him. It was convenient for Peter to say, Lord, I'll kill anybody. But when the rubber met the road, my brother, Peter ran. The Bible said he cursed. He got so mad he cursed and said, I don't know that. And he used the explanative. And see, when the rubber met the road, Peter could talk a big game in front of people. He just didn't match it. Judas was the opposite. Judas could stand up there. Oh, man, we're good men. We pay our taxes. We're good. But in the dark, he's a conniving little son of a gun trying to cheat his way through it. 30 pieces of silver. That was no more than the payment of a servant. Just he sold Jesus out for less than a human being would have been sold. I wonder if Jesus stands in heaven today and looks over and goes, this is not what I died for. I didn't die for a church that looks like this. I didn't die for a people to live like this. I didn't die for people to claim me part of the time, reject me the other part of the time. I didn't die for them to when it looks like everybody's around, who I'm this, that, and the other, but in the secrets of the darkness of the night and in the secrecy of moments, they're betraying me with the kiss. They're, they're coming to church, but they're living with the devil the rest of the week. I heard one, one preacher say it this way. You can't be the bride of Christ when you're shacking up with the devil Monday through Friday. God doesn't want a bride that's been tainted. He wants a bride that's not been already used. It's kind of hard to be a good bride when you're living like a prostitute. Because the reality of it is this. God did not die for the way church looks right now. God did not die for people to live like they're living right now. And I can tell you he didn't carry that cross for us to have complacent Christianity. He called us to something a whole lot more than just being comfortable in our own little bubbles. So what do you do Jesus asked the questions instead of you. What if Jesus were able to speak to your heart or through his word or through some prophet or teacher, maybe a television program, or maybe even to you directly? What if the next time you go to lay down in your bed or you lay down or you 
get down in your prayer closet and you start to pray, what if there's a question asked of you rather than an answer given to you? What are you going to do? Because I think if we would listen more than we talk to the Lord, there's a lot of questions God probably wants to ask us too. He's wanting some answers from us as well. He's getting a lot of what we want him to answer, but I think he wants us to have to answer to some things too. There is a level of responsibility attached with it. So before we pray, the question is this. Who's asking who? Are we going to Jesus with our laundry list of things and just, once we get done saying what we need, we just turn off the prayer valve and we leave? Or do we give him enough time to speak and ask us some questions and make sure we're on the same page with him that day? Because too many people, they don't mind asking. They just don't like it when the tables are turned and Jesus asks something from them in response. Because the Bible said that everything, whether it's church, whether it's giving, whether it's the way you live and holiness and righteousness, there is a level, once you get saved, there is responsibilities you have now been tasked to follow with. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. God loves a cheerful giver. There's countless scriptures that are not my opinions. They're facts. So who's asking who? The question. With every head bowed and every eye closed. For time's sake, I want to be very cognizant. But I would ask, is there anybody tonight, under the sound of my voice, said, Pastor, Based on this message and based on what I've heard, the things that's been recapped, I want to be prayed for. I, I, and I'm not, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you a public spectacle. But I would wonder if there's anybody that would say, Preacher, this message spoke to me in this moment. And I'd like for you, before you have the closing prayer, just to pray for me to be able to, whether it's to listen more to the voice of the Lord or to answer his call or whatever it may be you say, but I, I really need to hear from God and I really want to be in that connection with God. Will you just slip up your hand? No one looking around but me and Jesus. Yes, I see that hand. God bless you. Yes, I see that hand. God bless you. Any others? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. countless hands all over this house. So here's what I want us to do. I always lead the prayer typically. But for a few minutes, whether you do it in quiet, or whether you want to do it in concert on your own, at your seat, at an altar, why don't you just take a minute and talk to God? Now maybe you like to use audible words or maybe you like to meditate. We won't make you last long, just Sister Carol will keep playing. Will you and God have a moment? But, but do me a favor. When you're talking to God, also ask Him, God, is there anything you need to speak into my life? And let Him have the opportunity to talk back to you for a minute. Will you, will you do that? Will you just talk to Him for a minute? In a moment, we'll pray together. You just speak. let Him speak to you. We love you, Jesus. Oh, just talk to the Lord. We love you today.
love you today. We worship you, Lord. to play, I want to read you the words to this third verse. Are you weak and heavy laden? Are you cumbered with a load of care? The precious Savior, He is our refuge. If you just take it through the Lord, prayer. See, here's what he goes on to keep saying. He says, do your friends, verse 3 of this song, do your friends despise and forsake thee? He already knows what that feels like. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his loving arms, He will take and He'll shield you. You will find solace or comfort. You'll find solace there. That's what He's asking. To come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest, solace. So are you weak and heavy laden? Are you covered hurt by a load of care? Oh, but Jesus, the precious, our Savior, He is our refuge. But here's your responsibility. But you must take it to the Lord in prayer. Here's the other part of that. It says, can you find a friend that is so faithful? Well, who will all our sorrows heal? share here's our hope for Jesus he already knows our every weakness but here's what you have to do but you have to take it take it to the Lord in prayer so I'm going to say this before brother Randy prays our benedictory prayer I can't always come home with you and pray for you can't always be with you when you need it most. I can pray from a distance and I'm a phone call away and I'll come to you as fast as my four tires will take me. But there's a friend who never left you in that moment. And before you ever pick up the dial, the phone to dial my number, if you take it to the Lord in prayer, there's one who can start working it out before I can ever get there to help you out. You just got to know how to take it to God yourself in prayer. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance towards you. 
and give you the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Father, let the words of our mouths and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Before we're dismissed, I'm going to ask you to stand all over this house. I'm going to ask you to let one of our council members pray the prayer of faith over you this evening. And immediately following that, consider yourselves dismissed. God bless you. We love you tonight. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name, Lord, for your presence here tonight. Lord, we thank you for your touch. We thank you for being with us, helping us, Lord, for your presence. We thank you and lift you up and praise your holy name. Help us, Lord, to do more for you. Help us to listen for your answers, Lord. Help us listen for your questions. Lord, I pray that you will continue to abide with us and bring us back to the appointed hour. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.